welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to this opportunity for us to connect and share some great information, some great inspiration, and hopefully some real motivation to shifting your life. I'm just so struck by the way nowadays there are so many tools available. I was working on a peer-reviewed paper recently, and it covers meditation schools in the introduction, how many schools of meditation there are. And there are so many different styles of meditation and You'll find one that works for you. But for some people, it's breathing, following the breath. Others, it's following thoughts. For some, it's compassion. Others, it's letting go and releasing. There are also people for whom moving meditation is really powerful. So it really is much more meaningful for some people to move their bodies in Qigong and Tai Chi and yoga. And so there are all these ancient styles that we've been exposed to over and we've built as a human race over the last hundreds of thousands of years. There are also so many new and exciting self-help tools we can use as well that are very new and recent, like heart math, for example. I remember learning heart math in the early 1990s, and just that rhythmic breathing that puts you in a deep heart coherence is a really powerful stress reduction tool. And then, of course, there's EFT tapping, which I teach. Also, if you are planning to go to a class, there are several live classes happening now. And back along the pandemic pathway, we had to go all virtual. So all the trainings became virtual, all the classes became virtual. And now people are actually getting together in person and hugging each other again. (laughs) So if you feel daring, come and hug me at Omega Institute. I'll be at Omega soon. We'll be doing other classes at Kripalu and other places live and in person. We'll observe whatever protocols are required by local public health authorities. But it's wonderful to be able to actually be with people in person again. So check on all of those classes. They're all at EFUniverse.com and EFUniverse.com also has has all kinds of free resources, things you can do like work with practitioners, books, online courses. It's a really rich resource. And so make use of all these different ways to reduce your stress. You need it as you experiment with various ones, you'll find some really fit your lifestyle. Others don't. Like for example, I love to meditate for about an hour and a half every day. Does everyone have the time to meditate for an hour and a half every day? You know, I'm kind of a retired guy now. I can do that. Can that busy mom with two kids living in the Bronx do that? Probably not, but there are things you can do in 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes that can really shift your lifestyle. So pick things that work for you, experiment with them, and find ones that really fit with what the time you have available. But it's so worth doing this. I know that many times along the way, when I was 20, 30, 40 years old, I said, I don't have time. But the leverage you get over your well-being when you do do the kinds of approaches we, we advocate on the show here is so powerful, you literally don't have time not to do them. So whatever it is that fits your lifestyle, experiment, try them, and then apply them to to whatever fits best with your particular life. So I want to inspire you. I want to present a lot of options for you. And then make sure you take action on the ones that really will work most effectively for you. That said, you're here. And just being here is this expression of your commitment to your well-being. Because you are choosing
choosing positive media. You are choosing in this moment not to go and plug your head into the news, plug your head into the conspiracy theory of the day. I just heard of a new one yesterday. I heard some guys say, the CDL water. We have a big drought here in the West. And so Nevada, where I live part-time, California, where I live part-time, uh, Oregon, Washington, there's a big, big, big drought that's been happening here over the last many years. And I just heard a new conspiracy theory, which I was Googling about this. They're stealing our water. Some unknown person stealing all our water. There are all kinds of uh, bad pieces of bad news like that you can find out about. But make sure you fill your life with positive inputs like high energy health. They really can make a difference. Bookmark this page. Come back week after week. We have just an array of inspiring and amazing guests that will give you the inspiration and also give you the tools to make your life a whole lot better. My guest today is a psychotherapist and leadership coach. Coach, Her name is Yael Melamed and her website, I'm going to spell this out for you, is Y-A-E-L-M-E-L-A-M-E-D.com. And like many of us, she got going in the whole field of personal growth through her own crisis, healing crisis, and in her case, cancer. That led her to re-examine her life and leave a 10-year career in business to pursue her real calling. She holds advanced degrees from Harvard Business School and CIIS, where I also teach EFT, and has been really shaped in the last few years by her spiritual work. Y'all, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Likewise, Dawson. I'm excited to meet you. Yeah, and like for many of us, it was our own healing crisis that brought us to the journey. I'd love to hear how that transition worked for you. Sure. I learned much later that in Jungian typology, there's an archetype called the wounded healer. And I do feel that there are so many of us who kind of work through our own wounds and then through that process, learn to help others through theirs. In my case in particular, I was sort of one track on an escalator, kind of doing the things. I was in Harvard Law School, Harvard Business School, you know, just gathering as many credentials as I could. And I got some really shocking news at an age where you kind of feel like you're invincible. I think I was 23. And I found out that I had skin cancer and it turned out that actually it was better than it seemed it would be. And so it was a real reckoning with death at such a young age. And I actually, I'll never forget when right after I got the phone call, I was on campus at Harvard, I hung up and I was walking towards Baker Library. And I actually had a visual, I saw my obituary float through my mind. And it said, it was a list of accomplishments, basically valedictorian and president of this and that. And I wept. It even makes me emotional now because it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I realized that, wow, that's not who I am. What is going on? That's not how I want to leave the planet with this empty list of accomplishments. And it really, really got to me. It turned out that the cancer actually was much less advanced than they thought. I was so lucky. I got out of it with just one surgery and I had a clean bill of physical health. Uh, But then I had a lot of emotional, psychological, and spiritual reckoning to do. And ultimately that was really, that exercise led me to realize I wanted to do my life completely differently. And I wanted to be able to read my obituary, my metaphorical obituary and feel really whole and good about it. Wow. What a powerful moment to take stock and take consciousness. And, you know, I I did remember doing a series of interviews with cancer patients in the 1970s. And so many of them said exactly what you just said, that cancer was the best thing that happened to me because it forced me to re-examine my life and go in a new direction. And so when, when you were at that moment, what then did you do to actually create that change? Did you journal? Did you take classes? Did you look at a whole bunch of different options? What, what led you in the next direction? Well, if you really want to know, I dropped out of business school. Um, 
I remember that normally they don't allow you to do that and hold your place unless you've completed a semester. But I lobbied, I convinced them to let me go. And I just took a sabbatical, something I had never done. I allowed space and time to just stop and actually listen, listen to myself. And so that's, that's what I did. And it was, you know, one of the most healing times in my life. I call it the healing arts. I, I realized I loved them. I had never done therapy or meditation or yoga or anything like that. And kind of, you were just describing the potpourri of healing techniques that you offer people. And I think that's amazing. And I just followed what resonated because there are so many tools and it just led me to a really good place of being able to hear my own intuition and know what was true for me. So there are all these different tools. It can be very confusing to people when you are at this buffet with a thousand options. (laughs) And how did you choose? I just chose what resonated for me. And I often tell my patients that because they, you know, people want to do it right. And some people are really overachievers, even in their healing process, which is kind of interesting. But I kind of tell people what, how does that feel in your body? Try not to overanalyze this and figure it out with your mind. Just do you, it's simple. Does that make your body open or close? Do you feel drawn to it or not? And I also kind of work with people to understand that they are the authority of their own experience. I can't tell them. They actually need to develop the skills to hear for themselves. And so I know that that might sound a little bit abstract, but it's like, what are you excited about? I was excited actually to read your books and to start. That was information for me. I It didn't feel like work. It felt so exciting. And that's what I recommend to people. What feels exciting to you? I'll just tell you one quick little story about that. It happened to me in the last week. And that and that's that uh, I travel all over the world, but there are a few places I haven't traveled to I wanted to go to. And one of those is Bali in Indonesia. I've never been to Bali and I've always been drawn there for the last many, many years. And so I got an invitation to do a workshop in Bali. And I really thought long and hard about it. I, I, since COVID, I've been thinking about travel, like when, when to travel, when to not travel. And so my wife and I went into deep meditation about that. We watched some travelogues about Bali. I mean, we realized as we really tuned in that it was yesterday's dream. <laughs> it wasn't today's dream. It was a dream we both wanted a long time ago. And we were just kind of blindly following a script we'd written decades ago that really wasn't relevant, didn't really work for our lives right now. So we said no. And it's so interesting to do that. So I, I'm delighted that criteria does this make your body feel open or closed? What a powerful litmus test. Yeah. And I think pretty unusual. I tend to work with lots of overachievers um, and that's an unusual way to assess things. And I think it's it's very much needed. Yeah. Yeah. And so for people who haven't been used to delving into their body and asking that question, they may not even know what their body signals are. If somebody is an overachiever and they may have been doing a great job using their mind, how do you retrain them to pay attention and find those body signals? Yeah, it's funny. It's a it's a pretty arduous journey and it's kind of difficult, but I feel that having done it myself, it is sort of my privilege to help other people do it. But people, I'll say, how does that feel in your body? And they'll say, what? They don't even understand understand the question does not compute. And so the way I work with it is actually through a lot of somatic work. It's one of the modalities that I used that I use. And so we actually spend time with it and build the awareness over time, basically repeated visitation of the body with the mind. So over and over again, you're asking the question, you're tuning in, and then the practice is what develops the skill. Yeah, I was actually one of those people who was really frustrated. What are you talking about? I can't answer your question. I don't know how I feel. But just continuing the awareness with 
with gentleness and working with the self-critic and all of that and returning to it over and over, it's like any skill, just the practice and the repetition, it, it you know, grows the neural networks as you've written about. And then what was the first technique you used or the school you followed or what you did that, that first really helped you shift? I would say the most impactful was actually plant medicine because it got me, it was able to bypass my ego and all of my controlling mechanisms. I can remember on my first journey, I actually argued with the plant. I was refusing to surrender control. <laughs> That's how controlling I was. And yeah, I have found that to be incredibly powerful. I think it's something you need to be so careful about and work with the right people and make sure you're integrating it. There's a lot to it is my point. It's become very popular these days. And I think it's something to be used very carefully, but that was probably what created my first enormous shift. Which plant was it? It was MDMA therapy. Okay. And what was your experience? Well, my experience was lots of intuitions, connection to almost like other realms and just having a lot of clarity when I used to feel a lot of confusion and not really know what I thought. Everything just felt very, very, very clear. And I felt connected to my heart and realized, again, these things can sound cheesy when you're talking about them, but they're just so true. I realized how much wisdom was in my heart that I had been operating from my head only and that I needed to integrate those things to make better decisions and to lead a better life. Did you have any sense of a connection with other beings or other realms? I did. It was almost like spirits. I felt connected with spirit. And I actually did feel that when I had cancer, which preceded this. I, I don't know if I was a big believer in God necessarily, although I had been around it for my whole life. But I had one of those experiences where you're you kind of approach white. And I what I noticed was I didn't feel afraid of death. I felt extremely calm and I felt extremely close to God. That was probably my first experience with other realms. And then I kind of revisited it again here with, with the medicine work, just a feeling of calm, clarity, wisdom, peace, love, and realizing that I could bring that in and integrate it in my hectic everyday life for a much better quality of life. Yeah, you can integrate in your everyday life and then it dramatically raises your quality of life. And I think that those of us who've made that shift and are on that journey, just look back at the way you used to live and it's like incomprehensible if you have used to live that way. Totally. People yeah. often ask me, how did you make this huge change? And I think to myself, how did I ever do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you now have a whole new career. How did that morph from personal experiences into actually offering services to others? Well, I was mentioning to that, you could call it a sabbatical that I took when I dropped out of business school. And I, for me, it was just screw everything. And I had a kind of a family with high expectations and they kept asking me, what's the plan? What's the plan? I said, the plan is no plan. That is the plan. And for once in my life, it was just, you know what, I'm going to do it my way and what I want. And it came really quickly to me. I did some meditation retreats, silent meditation retreats. And it was just realized that my body always felt good, excited, open when I was in service to others from a very young age, National Honor Society, food drives, visiting el the elderly in their homes. That was mentoring. That was what made me feel so happy and so fulfilled and kind of aligned and a sense of deep purpose. It just came really quickly once I realized that, you know, the connection to this person who told me about CIIS. And I think I applied to one or two schools. I just knew I visited. This feels good. Everything, it was almost counter to my brain. I was in a doctorate program, but I decided to do the master, something I would have never, the old me would have never done because it seemed more fun. I was more excited about it. And I just, that's just what I, how I started living and making my decisions. And so I totally shut down business. Then I started doing psychology and healing. Loved it. It was so wonderful. I felt like myself. It's one of those few professions where I asked my photographer not to Photoshop my wrinkles. <laughs> my wrinkles. And you know where it's all about being yourself, which is such a privilege. Jung, I, I mentioned 
him a lot because I did train at the Jung Institute, but he says that the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you really are. And I couldn't agree more with that. And I just felt free and like myself for the first time in my life. And I loved the clinical work and I kind of quietly did that. And I was actually approached to come into businesses because of my background. And to be totally honest, at first I was really ambivalent about it because I'd say I had a lot of my own PTSD from some of my business experiences. And it's like, well, why would I go back to that? But there were a couple of people who were persistent and I did it. I tried doing coaching in businesses. And what I realized is that I actually could be me. I could come in and be me on my terms and help other people be themselves and help them feel better. And especially when you're helping say a CEO feel better, it's like, wow, you've just changed 500 people's lives, a thousand people's lives, however many people's lives. And I found that to be really fulfilling. And I also found that maybe I had been throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And so by sort of bridging these two, what seemed really disparate world, I have found my own integration and I've really been enjoying it a lot. So before we go to a break, which we'll do in a moment, I want those of you listening to ask yourself that question, thinking about your life, thinking about your direction, thinking about what you do with your nine to five, how does it feel in your body? Just take a deep breath and feel into that. And it might feel wonderful. Maybe your body is telling you that it's time for a change. It's time to step back. It's time to take a breath. It's time to really look consciously as to whether that's what you want to be creating and a path you want to be following in the future. And so before we go to a break, which we'll do in a moment now, I want you just to think about that big question. How does what you're doing right now feel in your body? And maybe there are signals there. Maybe there's information there about a possible change. It's really worth making a conscious choice about that in each step of the way. We'll go to a break right now. I'll be back in a few moments. My name is Dawson Church. You're listening to High Energy Health. I'm just going to go ahead and give you her website again, which is Y-A-E-L-M-E-L-A-M-E-D.com. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, I just love sharing both information and inspiration. Also, I really want to encourage you to apply the techniques that you're learning here. You just learned a powerful one in the last segment about tuning into your body and getting that body signal about where to go and what to do in your life. Does this feel right in my body? And if you don't know, if you can't figure it out, the answer was also very comforting. It gets easier with practice. So remember that, and just as you get used to it, you'll find yourself doing that naturally. So use these and the other techniques you find here we share on high energy health. Also, if you'd like to take a workshop or look at the many online courses at EFT Universe, go to my website, eftuniverse.com, and see what all the possible options are. You can also download our new app, which is called Stress Solution. You can do virtual sessions on your phone with a live practitioner, certified practitioner, anytime you like. How cool is that? So it's the, one of the very first services we can actually literally log on, find a qualified, certified, clinical EFP pra- practitioner, and push a button and do a session. It's really remarkable, and people are getting amazing results from doing those sessions. So go ahead and download the Stress Solution app, either in the iOS store, Apple store, or for Android, it's available in both platforms. For more about my guest today, go to her website, Yael, Y-A-E-L, Melamed, M-E-L-A, 
med.com, yaelmelamed.com. And that's where you'll find out more about her work and about her passions and about how to apply these things in your own life. Hypothetically, I am in a job that I don't really feel that good about. It's okay. It's paying the bills. And I know there's more for me. But my workplace isn't fostering that, isn't fostering any kind of avenue for growth or exploration or change. What do I do? Well, you hit my sweet spot because my whole thing in life is we should just be happy and have more fun. (laughs) Okay, I'm 100% in agreement with that. (laughs) I paid a lot of money in therapy to figure that out. (laughs) But really, you know, what is the, when you look back on your life, when you're on your deathbed, what do you want to see? And so, you know, that's a tall order and where do you start? And really, you know, the answer is in Inside of ourselves. I'm a huge fan of Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you've heard of him. He wrote about logotherapy. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. But one of his major premises is we can't control what happens to us in life, but we can control the way that we respond to it. And so I would say the first thing is to take back the control. You said, oh, my workplace isn't fostering it. It's kind of, you know, looking at the workplace. And sure, of course, there are workplaces that aren't, aren't good fits. That's for sure. But I would say the first place to look is inside, in my own self. So what am I doing to contribute to this situation? Can I make changes? Because when one part of a system shifts, sometimes the entire system can shift. And so I would look at, you know, am I assuming positive intent of my coworkers? Am I projecting some of my own wounding onto coworkers? I find it so psychological what happens in businesses, what holds businesses back. And in the end, it's it's so psychological. So I think people need to do their own work to see how they're contributing as a first step. And when that work is done to see, okay, well, what changes are. And, and now I can see more clearly what's really going on here. Another big part of it is the feeling of victimhood. Oh, I have to stay here. It pays the bills. I can't leave. And every single thing we do in life is a choice. Staying at a job that pays the bills that we don't like is actually a choice. And to own that choice, I am staying here because this pays the bills. And right now I think that's what's best for me is much more powerful than sitting in a victim position. And so those are some of the things I would begin to look at. Um, I could say a lot more, but I'll let you speak. (laughs) Well, I'm just curious too. So maybe your scope for change is very limited. Other people are issuing you your instructions. You have a supervisor. There is not a lot of wiggle room in your job. And so just as it's just a fact, you're pretty constrained in what you can do. Uh, What can you do psychologically if you can't make a lot of change materially? Well, that's the amazing thing about the mind, right? The mind is limitless. And so, you know, when I was, I've had certain situations like a 10 day meditation retreat, feeling like I wanted to die. I couldn't move. I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone. And as I worked through the layers of my mind, I realized, oh, I could travel to Aruba in my mind. I, there's so much I could do with my mind. So again, I, I think the answer is inside of us. You know, how did some Holocaust survivors actually manage to remain positive? It's all through the power of the mind. So yes, my circumstances might be constrained and I can't argue with this or that, but how I choose to view and experience that with my mind can really change my quality of life while in those circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, reading not just Viktor Frankl, but also Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Gulag Archipelago, and this archipelago of, of camps in the old Soviet Union that was set up in the 1930s by Stalin and then held millions of Russians. And Solzhenitsyn could tell when a new inmate arrived, if they'd survive or not, within a few days. He would look at whether people felt that sense of being crushed, victimized, unable to, to have some control over their thoughts, whether they couldn't. And those that were in that space are feeling totally constrained by the circumstances. They 
were the ones that died. Those that had some sense of inner space in their mental operation were the ones that tended to live. So it was really interesting to read about that, you know, both both in extreme circumstances, like during the Holocaust, in the Nazi concentration camps, during the Soviet Union era, in those really constrained circumstances of the, of the labor camps. And yet so many of us aren't in a labor camp yeah. <laughs> but we're stuck in our minds. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean to make it sound like it's easy. Oh, just let go of your victimhood. You know, it's not easy. That's a journey. That's a journey of human evolution, but it's entirely possible and it's incredibly rewarding. So let's switch now to you hypothetically guiding a boss. Here you are, you move into a work workplace. Maybe this workplace employs a few dozen people. And what guidelines are you going to give the employer and recommendations to help maximize the potential of their team members? So I'm not the type of coach who gives guidelines. Again, I really work with people to figure things out for themselves. So I, I would say I help people get out of their heads and egos and into their hearts and relate with their employees um, in a more human way. And what I find is that amazingly, that impacts productivity positively. Thank God. And so I really help people become more empathic, more human, learn how to allow for a plurality of views and psychological safety and, you know, in an empathic place. And that helps teams perform better. Yeah. Yeah. That's a powerful stance to have because then you're relating human to human as well as colleague to colleague. And that valuing somebody's humanness is very, very, very powerful. We're going to go to a break right now in a moment. But if you'd like to know more about Yael's work, go to her website, Yael, Y-A-E-L-M-E-L-A-M-E-D.com. Also, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Bliss Brain, you can get it at Bliss brain.com. If you go get the book over there, the book itself is free. You pay shipping and handling. And that's globally. Anywhere in the world, you'll get that book shipped to you. And um, one thing I want to make sure you do, though, is download the eight free meditations. You'll see at thisbrain.com because we're doing research now. And when we put people in MRI scanners and they do those meditations for a month, their brain anatomy starts to change. So they literally are having different anatomical structuring, restructuring their brains as a result of the neural plasticity that those meditations produce. And it does not take 10,000 hours or 10 years or taking vows and going living in a convent. It happens in a month and accelerates from there. And you can find those meditations at blissbrain.com. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back. My name is Dawson Church, and each week on the show, I bring you inspiration and also practical tools you can use to make your life a lot better. We heard some great ones in the last segment. We have some more really practical ideas coming up in the next segment as well. And for more on Yael's work, go to her website. I'll spell it out for you, Y-A-E-L-M-E-L-A-M-E-D.com, Yael Melamed. Dot com. To get a copy of my newest book, Bliss Brain, go to the website blissbrain.com and also make sure you get not just the book, which is free there, but also the meditations that are also free. And our MRI research is showing they literally change your brain within 30 days. So it's wonderful to know we have these resources and listening to the show is one way in which you're giving yourself the benefit of all those wonderful ways of being. 
Yeah, I'm, I wanted to reflect with you for a moment on this new, this idea of letting in the new and choosing the new and choosing direction. And that also means letting go of the old. And often we're clinging frantically to the known landmarks of our lives. And we have to, of course, open our arms, open our hands and be willing to be guided. What's that like? Well, you know, it's funny. I grew up Jewish in a kind of pretty traditional environment. And I, I, in my older age, I've come to really appreciate some of the rituals. And every year in the high holidays, we do a ceremony called Tashlich and we throw bread into a live body of water and we let go of things that we would like to let go of to make space for the new to come in. And it's a really powerful thing to do. It is scary. Many of us are so scared of the unknown of change because we'd rather have the known enemy than, you know, the unknown potential friend. And I have been doing a lot of letting go in so many facets of my life, one of which is the career that we've already talked about. And funny enough, it came back. When you let go of things, sometimes they come back in new and improved <laughs> ways. Telling you at the break, I actually have a bracelet from my intent, which you can put intentions on and it says let go. It's one of the things that I feel really strongly about. And it's actually connected to a personal story related to the grief work that I'm doing. I don't know if you if you want to talk about that. Yes, please do. Well, in God, June 29th of 2016, I lost my best friend. Suddenly, she was an amazing, you know, very vibrant person. It was kind of like it actually was a freak accident. My daughter is named after her. And shortly after her death, I had a dream. And I'm really into dreams, being a union. And in the dream, I asked her what her last wishes were. And she told me, you know, one was to keep in touch with her family and, you know, look after them. And the second one, she said, I want you to run grief groups. And meanwhile, this was nothing I had ever done before. And she said that she believes that the number one reason for suffering on the earth plane is that humans don't know how to let go. And they just accumulate and accumulate and accumulate the trauma without letting it go. And she said that, you know, because of your life experiences and your training, you are uniquely equipped to help people to let go. And so I talked to her beloved yoga teacher. She was an interesting person, very much in the material world, a business school graduate, flew on private planes, things like that. And then she would go to India for months of silence and had a Sanskrit name. And she was this really interesting person. And I contacted her beloved yoga teacher, a monk, Swamiji, for short, at the Shivananda Center. And I told her about the idea. She loved it. And then I became pregnant and I everything fell to the wayside and I kind of forgot about it. And about maybe it was two or three weeks into the shelter in place in the pandemic in early 2020, I actually heard Carrie's voice. I heard it crystal clear. I heard her talk to me and we had been talking about kind of brushes with other realms. And she just said, yeah, the time is now. And so I said, okay, and wrote an article and got it on Ariana Huffington's Thrive Global and reached back out to Swami G and we kind of pulled this thing together. And anyway, sorry, it's a lot of talking, but for me, that was a very powerful message to hear both of my purpose and my work to help and support people in letting go and also my own work in letting go. So grief groups, and what form did they take? Who would have thought I'd be partnering with a monk? I've enjoyed it so much. It's been so cool and I've learned so much. And, you know, we only plan to have one or two groups, but now I think we just finished our fifth group and we're doing an in-person retreat because the work has been so powerful. And what we do is we gather between six and eight people on Zoom. The group is actually called the Global Village because I thought it was really interesting that COVID was one of the first experiences that felt totally universal. I would speak with my family in Israel or a friend in Egypt 
Egypt or a friend in London or India, and we're all going through some version of the same thing. And that felt really powerful. And so um, we assembled these online Zoom groups. And the idea was to marry the head and the heart, kind of what we were talking about earlier. And so we kind of take people through their grief process. We define grief as any kind of pain that you're unable to let go of. So it doesn't mean someone had to have died. It could be anything else that you can't let go of. And through a combination of didactic, both from the schools of psychological thought and also the Bhagavad Gita and ancient wisdom. And then we do actual group work where people get to do dyads and really get to connect and talk. And then we also do some physical and somatic work. I am influenced by the book, The Body Keeps Score. I don't know if you've heard of it, but I really do believe we, things are trapped in our cellular memory. And if we just talk, 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 it's not always enough. And so we do a combination of yoga, breath work, and chanting to not just kind of talk and use our mind, but to move things through the body. And it's been incredibly powerful, which is why we've continued the work, even though you know we haven't had energy to continue getting funding. And by the way, we offer it at no charge because in the dream, um, my friend asked me to do that. She said that she wanted people to feel loved by the universe and just receive a gift, no matter what their circumstances or means. And so we've just continued the work because it's been so healing and powerful. And I think a big part of it is we don't have tribe anymore. You know, like we used to grow up with elders and multi-generational homes. And, you know, when someone died, you were surrounded by support. And these days there's so much isolation and loneliness and aloneness that just coming together in a group to really witness and be together in a deep way, just that alone is so powerful. So coming together and actually witnessing and sharing the experience in a group helps with shift in people? Absolutely. I sometimes tell people like when I'm working with couples, you actually need to do less. You have no idea. <laughs> really? People want to solve and problem solve and just actually being present and being heard and truly received is so powerful. And that alone can shift things. And I've witnessed it. I'm sure there's lots of research on it. I tend to be more of an autodidact. I've witnessed it clinically thousands of times. So the advice sometimes might be do less. You're trying too hard. You're trying to pack too much in. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned for more from High Energy Health. We'll be right back after a short break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and I love sharing these wonderful facts, wonderful ideas, wonderful stories with you week by week. And I so love that we have blogs, we have podcasts, we have media now, like High Energy Health, that's really supporting our well-being. There's, of course, all the stuff there not supporting your well-being and plugging you into violence and despair and misery and the crisis du jour. But it's even though you have to be informed what's going on in the world, it's really important to condition your consciousness and have at least equal input of all the good stuff, if not a whole lot more. John Gottman, legendary marriage researcher, says that you need, for a, for a relationship to thrive, you need five positive inputs for every negative input. And I would recommend having that as a minimum. Make sure you have 50 positive inputs for every negative input. Read one news story and it takes you two, a minute to read. Go spend a bunch of time meditating and tuning in to all the wonderful things going on out there like this podcast. There's so much you can do. Bookmark this, come back here every week and really flood your, your whole life with well-being. There mm -hmm. is so much to be grateful for, so much love out there. And the more you do proactively to bring it into your life, the higher your quality of life will be. Also, the quality of your health will be. Research shows that optimists 
live in the studies with the shortest amount of difference, five years longer than pessimists, others more than 10 years longer than pessimists. So it's really worth doing this for yourself and your own well-being. For more about Yael's work, go to her website. and I'll spell that for you. It is Y-A-E-L-M-E-L-A-M-E-D, YaelMelamed.com. And for a copy of my newest book, Bliss Brain, go to the website, BlissBrain.com. Yael, one of the other things you have given a lot of thought about is how this makes us resilient, how focusing in this way, how supporting our well-being this way makes us resilient people. It obviously worked for you. How can it work for all of us? You know, Rene Descartes, I believe it was, wrote a theorem about why it makes sense to believe in God. Even if God doesn't exist, it doesn't really matter because believing that God exists makes you better off. And that is kind of what I've come to realize is that, you know, are things all happy and glowy? Maybe, maybe not. But does believing that they are help you? Absolutely. So it it almost seems like a rational thing for me to choose optimism and positivity because there's just no, there's no real benefit to choosing negativity and pessimism. And I think that once you kind of get that in gear, it's very powerful. And I don't believe in toxic positivity. I don't think it really works when you fake it and all of that. I think sometimes we actually have to go through the suffering in order to get to the positivity. And so I have lots of space for the dark and working through the dark in service of letting go and working through it. And so for me, resilience is kind of having a certain faith and trust and knowing that you will take this experience the situation, you will choose your responses to it, and you will try to turn, call it a coal into a diamond, even though I don't think coals really do make diamonds, but I still like (laughs) And so how, when you are confronted with that lump of coal, what's the first thing you do? When I'm confronted with what? The lump of coal. Oh, the lump of coal. Well, by now, you know, the first lump of coal really sucks because you haven't gone through the process of converting it. Once you've gone through the process, it's a little bit different because you're like, okay, here it is again. You know, everything changes. This too shall change. A lump of coal will become a diamond. A diamond will become a lump of coal. So there's just almost like a Buddhist acceptance of the ups and downs of things. And so when I'm confronted with a lump of coal, I feel my feelings. I allow myself to feel, to cry, to feel all of it. But again, I have a certain container where I know it won't remain that way. And then once I'm ready to convert it, I begin to convert it. I have this idea called this that I call the silver lining approach. And I find that it's very irritating when you ask someone else how their trauma, what the silver lining is in their trauma. But I found that if you ask yourself that question, it's less irritating. And you can really see, okay, well, this is challenging me to learn this, this, and this. I don't like it. There's nothing I can do about it. So what's my next best choice or my next best action? And that's just really how I approach everything, even really difficult things that served me me really well. And I work with my patients to do the same and it served them really well. And also saying that what's my next best action focuses you on just the step ahead of you. You don't have to know how it's all going to work out. Absolutely. Man plans, God laughs. I think COVID is a great example of that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just planning a trip to Israel. I've had to cancel the last three to see my family because of COVID. And so I just kind of get that I'm just not in control. And I think that's a really valuable lesson. And so, you know, you can have a 
plan, but you also need to know that it might change and shift, especially these days where things just seem so dynamic. And yeah, the next best step. And you can choose to be happy when those things don't work out the way you want them to work out or don't work out the way you've foreseen. Just that, that doesn't happen and you're happy and then something else happens and you're happy. And so whatever it is, there's a great book title by Byron Katie, Loving What Is. You just move into that place of loving what is, whatever it is. And that, of course, reduces all the stress that results from wanting things, insisting things be a certain way. Totally. I have done that work. It's kind of like, oh, I wish it were this and this and this. And it's like, that just creates suffering because your expectations aren't being met. And then you just return to, okay, that's great, but this is what's here. And kind of return to the present moment and work to just accept. And if you're lucky, love what is. So in our last couple of minutes together, when you're in a crisis and maybe you're having a hard time remembering all this and getting in touch with the wisdom you, you have, what do you do? What do you do personally? Well, truly, I don't have trouble remembering it at this point. But what I would recommend, sometimes what I have done in the past is actually have a little list, a short list. And even if you can't remember all the things, you know that you can refer to that list. You can remember that. And so just having those few things that you want to remember, either tools that you want to do or reminders that this too shall pass or reminders about resilience can be really helpful. Reaching out, not holding it alone. We were talking on the break about how the Zen monks say that a burden shared is halved and a joy shared is doubled. So we can't do this alone. Whoever thinks, you know, there is something important about self-sufficiency and we're connecting mammals, we're herd animals. And so we need each other. And so finding the safe spaces to share and get support is really, really important. Reading certain books can be really useful because there's one thing to know something, you know, in your head and there's the other to truly know it and embody it. And that can require a lot of repetition. Yeah. And then the beauty of it is that as we do the repetition, as we apply those neural pathways, that they get stronger and bigger and better at firing. And that in turn makes us more resilient. Del, what a, what a joy to have this time with you, share with you, to have you share your wisdom with us. Those are such useful, practical tools. And I'm so glad you're here on the planet Earth, sharing them with other people. Mm. Thank you so very much for your work. Thank you, Dawson. And thank you for your laugh. When I hear you laugh, I think to myself, <laughs> I'll have what he's having. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much to give thanks for when we tune into it. You've been listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. Come back and join me week after week. Again, flood your mind with the positive. Until next time, be happy, feel love, and just honor your journey. Thank you. Thank you. 